So, Mel Gibson, in 2006, he made Apocalypto, which Great I movie. love. It's one yeah. of my favorite movies. Really it's set in Mexico, or what is now Mexico, in the time before the European expansion into the Americas. And the entire movie is in Mayan, sure. I think. okay. It's really cool. All the settings are really cool. It's kind of like a chase movie. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's very just a exciting. genuinely exciting movie. Yeah. It's it's like old school filmmaking in a weird way. Yeah. It just gets, it gives me a vibe of like It's very basic. Even yeah. how the especially when you compare it to so many other things being like huge, huge robot fights or whatever, and this is just like a guy running through the jungle being chased for like forty minutes. Yeah, it's awesome. It's amazing. So anyway, he did that. He did that. And it, he had a weird Thing up until then, he made The Passion of the Christ, which is very compelling, but very tough to watch, yep. obviously. Yep. He made Braveheart, which like, whatever. But his next movie after that was going to be a Viking movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio. They were going to do the entire thing in Old Norse. Sign me up. Uh, yeah. He said in other times that he was going to do some sort of like Old English thing, but I think that's because it was going to be the... Nor the the Norwegian and or the Viking invasion of England. That sounds cool. In like the ninth century, we need a movie about that. Yeah. So, a very cool time period to set a movie in. I've yeah. never seen a movie set in that time period. Lots of interesting things happened. Leonardo DiCaprio is cool. Yeah. He commits one hundred percent, doing the whole movie in a weird old language. Cool. All about that. And then. Pretty much the only other what, things... What could have possibly happened to make Mel Gibson not make a movie <laughs> right. during that period? Well, right? Well, and the other thing I'll say about the... What's the other why I would want to see it? The only things he said about the movie, the content-wise, is that he's going to try to make it very realistic, and that it's going to be very brutal and violent, of course. Dude loves violence. That seems like a theme that we're talking about movie, yeah. here with movies. Dude dude is very violent in his head. <laughs> Wait. How do you how do you say? <laughs> this is the guy from What Women Want, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. He's got nothing but positive thoughts up there. Thank you so much. So much. So much. So much. So much. So much. Do you know how that all went down with Terry Gilliam making Don Quixote? Not totally. Just that he wanted to for a super long time. Trying to think of what I can recollect. He's been, I mean, it's been since the late 80s. He's Did somebody to make like it. die or something? It's a lot like, of stuff it's, happened. It's not one of those. So, no. Uh-huh. Are they, we're going to film it in Spain. Yep. They found out that the place they were filming is next to an Air Force base. Yeah. For like Spain or whatever. Yeah. And they couldn't, we weren't going to be able to hear anything. Uh huh. Which is fine. They were like, okay, we'll just redub. Yeah. In post. And then there was this monsoon type rain. Uh-huh. And it absolutely changed the whole landscape about halfway through when they were filming. And then the lead of the project had like a slip disc or a herniated disc or something mm-hmm. insane like that. And he was just out, like Shoot. couldn't film anymore. And so all of that combined meant that Terry Gilliam made a $15 million insurance claim on the movie. And wow. it worked out because, yeah. you know, like acts of God basically mm-hmm. stopped it from happening. So... Anyway, he's been meaning to do this for years. I wonder if they like had to just hang on to that money until it was gonna get made. I think the rights switched around a bunch, so oh, maybe. Yeah, um, I'm and sure. I suppose you, I'm they sure probably you... just went towards the money that they had spent. Right, exactly. You have to pay them back yeah. since you don't have a movie. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so it's been recast a bunch of times. What's really funny now is that 
the cast was going to be like Jonathan Price, mm-hmm. the High Sparrow on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Also, if you've actually seen Terry Gilliam stuff, he's in Brazil mm-hmm. and the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. He was going to be the like Sancho Panza character. Uh huh. Like the whole thing is that there's a guy who's traveling back and forth between now and 17th century, and Quixote thinks that this guy's Sancho Panza, mm-hmm. and that's the premise of the movie, which okay. sounds kind of, sounds fun. Yeah. And now. It's been so long that he's cast Jonathan Price as Don Quixote. <laughs> yeah, he got the old, old enough. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of fun how that worked out. That is nice. I think it's going to be good. Adam Driver is going to be in it too. Oh, okay. The, yeah. most, the most I've ever thought about it is the one joke that people make about it, which is that him trying to make the movie has become his own like Don Quixote-esque yes. quest. Absolutely. Which is a great joke. Uh, it holds know. up. I'm the one millionth person to make it, but it's still good. <laughs> this is his windmill that he's tilting at. Yep. He's never going to stop until he dies, and now he's an old man. <laughs> I think he's going to do it, though. Yeah, there's like actual shots from it, right? Yeah. Wasn't that what came out the other day? Yes. So, Don Quixote, it's getting made. Can't what wait. World. It's. I also saw somebody else say that it's the Chinese democracy of movies. Yes. For the Guns N' Roses album that took 20 years to make. I bought that album uh, when it came out. Yeah, I hope it. I hope it's better than that, <laughs> or at least lives up to the hype. I don't. It doesn't really have a lot of hype though. Like probably Terry Gilliam fans are hyped about it. But Gilliam heads are gonna yeah, love it. Gilliam heads, but otherwise you don't. People aren't really aware. I don't think ten as people much as are excited. Democracy. Yeah, yeah. But no, we were. Uh, this brought us to the idea of our favorite films that never got made, uh, and so we're getting into it. Yes, we. we... Look, at first, when Jordan mentioned this idea i was thinking you know so are wait are we talking like lord of the rings starring sean connery as gandalf oh like that kind of thing i definitely don't want to see that we're talking the whole movie didn't get made yeah people talked about hey this movie's gonna happen yeah and then it didn't happen there's some really good ones there's some dream projects that got partially along the way of getting made and had to stop for some reason yeah and that don quixote one was one now somehow it's magically getting made. Yeah, but there's a lot of other ones that are not going to get. There made. are some <laughs> other ones that are insane. Yeah, and I wanted to see. Well, yeah. I wanted mainly I wanted you to research the yeah. one that you like because yeah. that's this is my jam. Yeah, it gets into your favorite yeah, thing. I'm gonna and then I'll get um, into let's, let's what get my into favorite it. one is. Yeah, let's get you into it. You should just start with so, yours because yeah. I then we can talk about Kubrick a little bit. Yeah, my for those who don't know, Stanley Kubrick is like my favorite filmmaker ever he made 2001 a space odyssey which is one of my favorite movies ever he made paths of glory which is one of my favorite movies ever i uh, also made like the shining that's eyes, one of my favorite movies yeah, ever eyes wide shut full metal jacket dr strange love a bunch of other ones lolita lolita barry linden they're pretty much all good uh clockwork orange anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you for hitting that full oh, list and and the killing no the killer's kiss no, the first one he did. Oh, I didn't watch that one. No, you did. The the one with Kirk Douglas. Oh, Spartacus. Spartacus. No, yeah, that wasn't the first one he made. I he am made like Spartacus. That. Yes, you made Spartacus. Um, but anyway, he as he got older, he got weirder and weirder. And Which is saying something. He already started pretty weird. And he got to where he was making a movie like every 10 years because he would do... Just an absurd amount of research for all of these movies. One of the notorious stories from that is for Eyes Wide Shut, he was looking for a specific door. Mm-hmm. And so he had someone go 
throughout England and photograph well, like something like 1300 different doors yeah just in a ridiculous number of and then he, doors. he just looked through and picked whatever one he thought was the best and it was for one shot what's even better than that is he actually went through all of them and said no 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 and just made his own door what that's what happened <laughs> yeah he didn't, he didn't like he one? didn't like any of them <laughs> uh but anyway so at a couple different stages of his career he came up with a movie he wanted to make and there's three real good ones. Okay. Well, I didn't the, know that. I thought there was yeah. one. Well, we'll start with the most, the newest and work our way back. Oh, okay. Most recently being AI, oh, yeah. which did get made by Steven Spielberg. Which but was decent. This is pretty good. Not bad. Uh, Steven Spielberg clearly rewrote the movie. Well, he he's so sentimental that yeah. you can't not. One of my favorite parts about this one is it was based on a short story originally that was made in like the 60s. Mm-hmm. Kubrick hired the guy that wrote the short story to write the movie script and yeah. then fired him because they had creative differences and hired somebody else awesome. to finish the script. Also, part of why it didn't get made was because Stanley Kubrick wanted to use a real robot as, the main, no. char- as the main character child. <laughs> we hadn't advanced far <laughs> enough in robotic technology Yeah, this is in like the mid-90s, so <laughs> like not even close. <laughs> Uh, I like. Oh man! Wait. So would he have? Would he have settled for like animatronics? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it would have oh, been. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and but then so kind of as he was working on Eyes Wide Shut and thinking about AI, he wanted uh, Spielberg to direct it. Oh, anyway, like the script that Kubrick and this other guy had made. Yeah. But then when Spielberg didn't want to do that, I think it seemed like too much pressure, probably. Yeah. But then after Kubrick died, then Spielberg did make it, changed the script or whatever. But I don't even remember what changed. I think he took out a sex scene with the Jude Law robot character. Oh, yeah. Um, that seems like something that would be specifically in a Kubrick movie and not in a Spielberg movie. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the other second one, going back a little bit more oh, okay. into... So, so wait, can I just say oh, something yeah, on yeah. AI? Yeah. It's fine. Oh, yeah. But the... <laughs> it, the potential is there for it to be so much better, which is that's that's what's hard. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if Kubrick would have done it, it would have been really stunning and really kind of probably insane too. Oh yeah. Well, I think at that point of his life, it probably would never would have got made. No. I think the only the only reason that that Eyes Wide Shut did get made was that it was in real life enough that he couldn't take twenty years to make it. Oh sure. But. You do got to say between him and Spielberg, and like what I would say maybe the problem with AI is, is that it's a little corny. Yeah, it's a little schmaltzy. Kubrick can't make anything corny or right, schmaltzy. Right, which is why I would love He's to like see that He's like the most gravitas guy there is. Yeah. Well, this these are all, we're talking about if these would get made in an alternate universe. Yeah, where, that's true. Like where Kubrick <laughs> hadn't made Eyes Wide Shut and made yeah, AI Yeah, he made instead. this instead. That's true. Well, and actually that kind of reminds me of how... When he made 2001 A Space Odyssey, which in my opinion is the best science fiction movie ever, part of what his mindset was, was that he wanted to make the proverbial good science fiction movie, <laughs> because he thought there hadn't been any good ones That's yet. That's pretty fair. Which is, yeah, pretty accurate. When it came it out like 68? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So they were all pretty bad before they were, that. They were fine, but very genre. Yeah. Metropolis is cool, I guess, but yeah. that's like going back a long ways. But yeah. Okay, so, so what was the second one? The second though? one uh, was he wanted to make one about the Holocaust. Oh. He and another and a writer had been working on one for a long time that was about a Jewish guy who got 
paper who had his documentation saying that he was Catholic. Uh-huh. Uh huh. was called the, so it would be called the Aryan Papers. Was going to be the name of the movie, and basically in the time that he was researching this movie, yeah, Steven Spielberg had the idea to make Schindler's List. Did all the research for it, wrote the script, directed the movie, and released it. All in the time that, that Kubrick was still just doing research. So basically... He got beat, buddy. He got beat hard to the punch. On How that are one. you going to beat Schindler's List? Well, that's kind of the other part of it, was that I think Schindler's List rules. It's an incredible And movie. it was a huge hit. But I think, I think it also... Kubrick... A lot of people quote Stanley Kubrick... As a way to like slam Schindler's List. Oh, really? Because he he, I think he watched Schindler's List and realized that it would be impossible to make an accurate Holocaust movie in the sense that you had to have to make a movie where everybody died. Like Schindler's List, even is it's about the Holocaust, but it's kind of also about these people that lived. Yeah. And the the thing that he's quoted as saying is that the Holocaust is a time where six million people died mm-hmm. and. Schindler's List is a movie where 600 people live, so yeah. that makes it not accurate to the Holocaust. Sure. So, I think, I don't know, and that's, I think That's he, just getting into the weeds, though, right? A little I mean, bit. Like, I mean, like, in order know. to actually present this in a way that connects humanity to it, yeah. you have to have someone that you can relate to. That's how movies work. Yeah. Like, and that's the, getting into, like, the conceptual yeah. idea of what a movie yeah. can be. Well, and, like, I think The Pianist got pretty close basically just that one guy lives like right. it still is about a guy who lived but, but he like lived. he'd almost be better off not by the end sure <laughs> you know but he does the that. same i'd say it does the same thing yeah yeah so anyway i think schindler's list coming out made him realize how hard it would be to make and how depressing it would be for him to make the movie he wanted to make yeah sure and he basically had to quit okay got it and plus yeah he got beat to the punch yep um, and then the third one which the most, i yeah the which biggest i asked one. you to research because yeah. i wanted your take on it and it sounds like the most kubrick movie that could <laughs> yeah. have worked yeah so after he made 2001 a space odyssey in 68 in 68 he decided after he made, was going to make the proverbial good science fiction movie, he had basically the same thought about historical, like, biographical movies. He basically wow. thought that there just none of them were any good, and he was going to make one that's good. And <laughs> I would say that's, like, insane levels of hubris if it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, if he didn't just actually do it with sci-fi. Yeah. Um, so he was going to make a movie about Napoleon, and he was all about Napoleon, he thought that Napoleon was like a very impressively action-oriented person, which I'd say is correct, I guess. So he admired him because Napoleon like did something dictator. that <laughs> did something that Kubrick couldn't do, which is actually like <laughs> yeah, finish things, throw the hammer down. Yeah. Well, actually, Kubrick was still hitting him pretty fast yeah. at that time, but I think this Napoleon one was kind of the beginning of him. Very overly researching things. He yeah. ended up with, I want to say, I was just reading this, like 15,000 photographs that his various assistants had assembled for him of different landscapes and items, like like objects like clothes. Wow. Or, yeah, just an unbelievable amount of that. And then like 17,000 copies of different documents. How do you even absorb that? I don't know. That's the Do you think he did? I he seems like he was insanely smart. So if anybody could have, I guess it would be him. 
I don't know. Like he supposedly also read like just dozens and dozens of biographies about Napoleon, and I just yeah, that seems very weird to me. I don't get. At a certain point, maybe at a certain point, he would just flip through them and see what was different. He also was going to film it partially in Romania so that he could use the Romanian army. <laughs> he what? was going. They were going to use forty thousand Romanian volunteers as extras because he wanted to do battles. In, like, totally open, huge fields as they would have done back then. Of course. And at full scale. <laughs> Which is a crazy choice to make. It's, uh, like it's also part of why it never got made. Being a movie maker and completely forgetting that movie, that camera tricks exist. Yeah, right? Which is crazy because he thought up so many of those. Yeah, like, for the guy who basically made Steadicam a big thing he with liked, The Shining. Yeah, and he invented camera tricks to like replicate zero gravity in such a way that a lot of people thought that he faked the moon landing footage right (laughs) that they hired him to do that so it's crazy that he wanted to just hire an army yeah to have an actual army yeah that does seem like the most kubrickian thing to do though it really is and i will say it wasn't a total loss because he did end up making barry linden in like 1975 or something and and i guess he used a lot of the obviously the details of napoleon's life weren't relevant anymore yeah but he used a lot of the research because it is set i don't know if it was set in france but it was set in europe in the time period. So a lot of the clothes, buildings, that kind of stuff. He used a lot of that research, but yeah, never made the Napoleon I'm going to have to watch Barry Lyndon sometime just to get a yeah. glimpse of what it could have been. It's pretty cool. It's like, I think it's really cool. It, I, I wouldn't recommend it to just generally. Yeah. I don't what know. would you recommend as like starting Kubrick? Probably The Shining, right? That's the easiest one to get into, I think. But that's also my favorite one, so... Yeah. It's, like, good genre film. Yeah. and it, But it gets you into the ideas of, like, what makes Kubrick so intense and cool mm-hmm. is that all of his stuff is very sort of symmetrical and mm-hmm. tight and yeah. it's very almost, it's, it's, mannered, I think, yeah. is, is a good it's way to describe like, it. It's kind of like how Wes Anderson is very particular that way except if Wes Anderson was really angry yeah (laughs) instead of instead of filming a dollhouse for every scene yeah he's filming he makes a two-scale world war one trench and makes a bunch of people halfway injure themselves yeah it's it's brutalist architecture instead of a dollhouse yeah like in this metaphorical sense so i don't know i guess maybe yeah maybe the shining or i mean depending on the first half of full metal jacket if you were into any like genres specifically like if you like science fiction movies 2001 is awesome great but it's a little or if you like yeah or if you like war movies and paths of glory is great or if you like i don't if you like old school comedy i still think dr strangelove is pretty funny yeah but that's kind of a little bit different Uh, all the comedy ones are a little different anyway or but you wouldn't say clockwork orange it's on star with that no probably not it's a weird movie it has the things that make him good in it yeah to me but the content of the movie is so odd. Yeah. You know how they talk. They kept a lot of the it's weird a strange language book, from the book. And it's a strange movie. I never finished the book because I couldn't get through it because the language is too hard. Yeah. I'm sure people have and it's very good. But yeah. the movie's just good enough. Yeah. Well, just watch the movie. I don't know. I'm not usually one to even think to recommend like 
beginning that way, you know, of yeah, like, a, like a starter example. There's got to be someone just at, out there who people. wants to get into it and doesn't yeah. know, you know? Yeah, but I, I just mean, like, usually for me, I'm always just like, what's the best one, oh, you know? Yeah. So I just say, you know, 2001. Yeah, I, you I, do, or whenever even, I recommend you a book, you're always like, just give me the best yeah, Steinbeck. Like, yeah. man, you got to <laughs> yeah. work up to that. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't think most <sighs> people do. Or actually... Even Eyes Wide Shut, you know, if uh, you don't mind watching a movie that they had to edit at, right? If they had to edit the movie after he died using CGI to avoid getting an NC-17 rating, if that doesn't, like, freak you out, then I'd say go with that one, because it's new, or it's it's the most recent, and so it's the closest to the kinds of movies that most people watch now. I don't know. I don't, that one doesn't do it for me as much as some of the yeah, other ones. I think it's pretty great. I think um, that's advanced level Kubrick. Sure. <laughs> that's the, yeah, like that's the kind of thing that I usually can't frame it that way for myself. Sure. Because I always think part of what makes it things really good is that most people can enjoy them. Sure. Yes. That makes sense. That's why I like for Barry Lyndon. That's one where I like, eh, wouldn't recommend to most people just because, not because it's like too much. But just because part of why I like it is because I like imagining him making it. Like, I like the thinking about just like that. There's very few movies that I can watch and I can care about the details of how it got made. Mm -hmm. But with a lot of his that I can just because I've read about them enough. Like with with how in Barry Lyndon they didn't use any actual lights. It was all either just the sun or candles. That's they didn't use insane. any lights that wouldn't have been around wow. in the 1700s. That's I think probably the best way to explain Stanley Kubrick to someone. Yeah, he had to. He it's call, like exercises in formalism almost constantly. Yeah, and it's if the movies weren't good, it would bother me. Yeah, but the movies are good, so I figured just hey man, if you really like cameras that much, your instincts are right. Then yeah, you're doing it. You know that makes sense. So in his Napoleon movie that he was gonna make. Mm-hmm. He was going to have some guy that I never heard of as Napoleon. I can't remember what his name was. And then he was going to have Jack Nicholson as Oof. That would have been Napoleon, bad. which I don't think would be good either. Yeah. Uh, I mean, depending on what you're going for, I guess. I don't know. Maybe the character that they were portraying. Maybe it was like that Amadeus movie where they're going to like really undercut our expectations on how serious this guy is. But Jack right, Nicholson... Right, but that's like in real life, Mozart was also a nut yeah i don't i mean i don't know what napoleon was like in real life though maybe he was a real weirdo sure <laughs> like uh most of what you would know about him would be propaganda at this point so i don't know Unless maybe he was read a 15 lot like, biographies like yeah so maybe he was a lot like jack nicholson yeah um but then he wanted to have this girl from breakfast at tiffany's audrey hepburn he wanted to have audrey hepburn as josephine huh which okay okay <laughs> Don't know anything about Josephine. I'm nope. sure she'd be great. Me neither. Uh, she, Audrey Hepburn is very regal. That's true. So she's got that going. Yeah. I think it probably would have been a good movie. It probably would have been like five hours long, though. Yeah. So uh, supposedly, as of like 2016, Steven Spielberg was working on getting that script made into an HBO miniseries directed by Carrie Fukunaga. Oh, yeah. Who did season one of True Detective. Nice. That'd be good. So that's as of like two years ago, and I haven't read anything that was more recent than that, and it's not on anybody's IMDb page, so I don't think it's going to get made. Probably not. Well, that was kind of the other thing of why it didn't get made originally, on top of it being 
insanely expensive and the genre not being that popular uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of box office somebody else released a movie about napoleon called waterloo oh like three years into this whole endeavor and it bombed so they didn't really give the studio a lot of confidence so it was part of it not getting made. But I'm glad that nobody tried to make a movie about a haunted hotel while Kubrick was thinking about making <laughs> The Shining. Yeah, could have been bad. What was yours? Mine was Ridley Scott's script for Gladiator 2. Nice. The sequel to Gladiator, that movie that is famous for the main character dying at the end. Yeah, that usually deters people from trying to make a sequel. And yet. <laughs> and yet, here we are. This sequel has been written. The mm-hmm. script exists. Mm-hmm. It's online, and anyone can read it. It's there for public consumption. If you look up Nick Cave, the author of this, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds is the band. You know, is you know, it the same guy? Yeah, same guy. Huh. He does music, and he also writes scripts. Did he write the first one? He wrote no. He wrote the screenplay for a movie called The Proposition, mm. which is a very good movie mm-hmm. directed yeah. by John Hillcote, and you should all watch it. It's great. It's Set in Australia at like the turn of the 19th century or 20th century. One of the good westerns. Yes, it's extremely good. And it's got Guy Pierce and all that. So he wrote that. He wrote Lawless with Shia LaBeouf and Tom Hardy, mm-hmm. which is fine. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. John Hillcoat also directed that. So I'm going to recommend that John Hillcoat directs this one later. There we go. But Nick Cave also was hired by, I think he was actually hired by Russell Crowe to write the script. Wow. And so Nick Cave just went for it. Yeah. This is an absolutely insane script. <laughs> for the first two thirds of it, I'm like 100% in. Uh-huh. And then it shifts and I'm 100% out. <laughs> okay. But I'll, okay, I'll lead you in. It starts off there's in this random forest. Yep. And there are these two thieves and they come upon this guy laying on the ground and they, they're like pulling off his armor because it looks expensive. Mm-hmm. And suddenly one of them gets a spear through the chest, basically. Mm-hmm. And this ghostly looking guy walks out from the trees <laughs> and scares off the other guy and wakes up the guy on the ground. It's Maximus. <laughs> Wait, the guy on the ground is Maximus? Yes. Okay. It turns yes. out that Maximus is basically in the afterlife. Yeah, Maximus played by Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Main main character. Main character. Everyone knows who this is. The gladiator himself. The, the titular gladiator. <laughs> so this ghostly guy, obviously Maximus is confused. This ghostly guy tells him, like, you're kind of in the... It's basically purgatory. Mm-hmm. So he leads him out of the forest into... They kind of crest this hill, and there's this big gray sea and this giant bunch of buildings everywhere. Just like mass of humanity, mm-hmm. and it's all poor and awful. And essentially, the ghost guy introduces himself. His name's Mordecai. He says, "The I do favors for the gods, mm-hmm. and they let me visit Earth every once in a while." Nice. So, Russell Crowe goes looking for his, you know, his wife and son, who he knew was murdered in the last movie. Can't find him anywhere. They see that every once in a while a boat comes and picks up someone and takes off. And uh-huh. all the people are just losing their minds because they all want to leave. Yep. So basically he figures out that he can go to the gods mm-hmm. and talk to them. And these are like the ancient Roman gods. So they're talking like Zeus. Uh, that's Greek. Ah. So Jupiter would Jupiter, be. Jupiter. There we go. Yes. So he, he get, also gets his armor back in a funny scene. 
the thief a guy. A funny scene. I mean, it is. It's funny. Well, I would not have guessed that any of this movie would have been funny. It's it's pleasantly humorous. Okay, there we when go. I when I was reading it in my sure, mind, sure. it was great. Yeah. But basically, he just stumbles upon this guy at this like market stall, and mm-hmm. there's ar- his armor there, and he tried the guy tries to hide it, and he like punches the guy out and takes his armor. <laughs> See, it's funny. Yeah, that's pretty funny. So anyway, he goes and he finds the gods. <clears throat> they they're at this big temple at the top of this hill. And they're all like old and decrepit and gross looking. Mm-hmm. So there's seven of them. Mm-hmm. There's supposed to be eight total. There's an empty seat, and they and the gods know who he is, obviously, and they basically make fun of him. For and what? For com- assuming that he can come to them with anything that they oh, want. Oh, sure, yeah. So, but they do give him. They're like, all right, fine. If you want your, uh, if you want to see your wife and kid, do this mission for us. And they basically give him the mission, a mission to go kill the eighth god that is missing. Nice. And here's where it starts to get crazy. The eighth god left because he is worshiping a different god. Yep. AKA the Christian god. <laughs> Yeah. So this whole movie you're gonna find out is about Christians in Rome uh-huh. being persecuted, huh. and so Maximus, of course, doesn't care about any of that. Mm-hmm. So, which is crazy for a dead guy. You'd think that that would be the people who would care a lot. Well, about he doesn't, what gods he doesn't care about the Christian stuff because he's already in the afterlife, uh, and literally he's a Roman soldier. So his whole thing is about rome you know yeah that's true he wow he's still dedicated to rome well i mean he just knew what he wanted and his whole thing now is his wife and kid oh yeah that's true so they say all right well if you do this we'll tell you about your wife and kid basically so he goes and wanders through this vast desert all this stuff by the way is set up really cool like Mm -hmm. i can see all this happening in my mind anyway and and it's written very well the tone is awesome and so he's wandering through the desert he has this weird vision of this deer with his wife's voice Mm-hmm. And then he finds the deer, and the deer is like has killed itself by accidentally snapping its neck in a bush. Wow! There's a lot of like weird symbolism, <laughs> yeah, allegory stuff, weird imagery. He goes, he almost dies out in the desert, and he stumbles by this like this group of people who are all like pagan and weird, mm-hmm. and have like masks and stuff. Hmm. And then he sees this little hut out in the desert, and he finds this guy. It's this old god, mm-hmm. whatever the Roman version of Vulcan is. You know that one? That's one where Spock's from, right? He's the, no, uh, he's he is the pointy Vulcan. ears. and. No, yeah, Planet <laughs> Vulcan. Very You're right. Yeah, Vulcan's from Vulcan. Very logical. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. The, I don't know anything about He's Roman the blacksmith gods. god, and he's ugly. That's his one thing. He's Got like it. the one ugly god. Mm-hmm. I think it's like Hephaestus or something like that in Rome. Nice. Burn. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, he stumbles in on this guy, this god, yep. and the guy is like holding a cross. And those guys that left, the weird pagan ones, were his followers at one point, mm-hmm. but they left. And so he d- says some stuff about the one true God, and mm-hmm. he sends Russell Crowe back to Earth. Okay. And that's where stuff gets, like, really strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is already absolutely insane, but <laughs> yeah. it makes sense in its own weird movie logic. Mm-hmm. But he gets sent back to Earth, and he gets sent back to, essentially, uh, this random place where... The Romans are slaughtering a bunch of Christians. And is this the point where they lost you? Not quite. No, we're not yet. Okay. Because then that's all the first act that I just yeah. gave you. Yep. So the second act basically becomes Maximus finds out that his son is alive again because mm-hmm. his wife made a deal in the afterlife to send his son back. Mm. So his son's alive. It's been like 30 years. So mm-hmm. everyone doesn't know who he is. Yep. Everyone wants someone to recognize him. Mm-hmm. But everyone's way older. And his son is alive. 
and his son is a Christian now. Okay. So he doesn't want to deal with any of these Christians. Yeah. And there's a we find we meet our villain. Okay. Who is a Roman guy who hates Christians too. Yep. Because his we find out later his mother and him both loved Maximus. Mm-hmm. They all rooted for him and stuff. And then he died. And then they were so heartbroken that his mother turned to Christianity. Oh, wow. And so this guy <laughs> hates Christianity. <laughs> That's pretty funny. They got so excited about their favorite athlete. Yes. <laughs> Wait, I assume as a gladiator, not like as a respected general. I think it was like the fact it, that he was, was a general turned gladiator and oh, okay, he was so good. Yeah. That's I just like to imagine that it was just like the most epic sports sadness that anyone's ever had. Like if LeBron the- dies and you... <laughs> and somebody like converted convert. to Christianity because of it. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> Man, it's so nuts. So essentially the movie ends up... The second part of the movie ends up being Maximus trying to convince the Christians that they need to fight and against these Romans. And there's all these other weird scenes. He like, you know, slaughters some Roman soldiers yep. to get away from everybody. He's on his way to Rome and he like stumbles upon... This cart at the side of the road that's got all these a dead rhino and these like dead lions and stuff. <laughs> they really get into the gladiator games and stuff in this. Yeah. Because the emperor is totally obsessed. Do they kind of so, make it look worse? Uh, Yeah. They're kind of I mean, getting they make to, it look pretty bad in the first one. They're getting but... to the next step of them because mm-hmm. people are getting bored with the usual stuff. Sure. So that'll, weird with it. That'll come into play later. Do they ever get to the making it into a big lake? Well, hold on. That's Ooh. where we're getting to. Ooh. Don't jump ahead of me here. <laughs> So he meets up with the Digimon Hansu or whatever mm-hmm. his name is, who's mm-hmm. still alive, and he's a blacksmith now. Nice. And he has like a wife and kids, and so he recognizes Maximus. And mm-hmm. basically, yeah, the next part of it is a bunch of like back and forth between the Christians trying to stay alive and Lucius, the bad guy, this bad guy who hates Christians, yep. trying to kill them. Yep. And Maximus being like, come on, you should fight for yourselves. And so eventually they set up this scenario the romans do where all the christians have to like make sacrifices to the roman gods yep and if they don't then they're going to be executed so we get a big scene in the coliseum where yes they literally flood the coliseum yeah. and fill it with crocodiles oh and then they have a big ocean battle yes a ship battle and all the christians are on the decks praying and they just get pushed overboard and oh, eaten no. by crocodiles it's like real gory and oh crazy. no yeah so this this movie That's has not like fun at all. No, it's bad. <laughs> I was expecting it to be fun. No, the, but there's like so much imagery in this movie that is like so memorable. Yeah, for better or for worse, it's like a really brutal script. It's yeah. crazy, but it's also Nick Cave. And if you see the proposition, you'll realize, oh, that's part of the course for him. Yeah, dude's pretty bleak. Yeah, he's very bleak, which I think is why this would work up until roughly the end. Mm. So, turns out the Christians, he's convinced them that they should fight. Yep. After one of their leaders gets killed by Lucius. Mm-hmm. So they all go out into the forest and they all prepare for battle. And the Romans follow them in there. And Maximus leads all the Christians in battle, finally, mm-hmm. because they've spent all this time like turning the other cheek and stuff. Sure, you know, going along with their actual religion. Right. And there's actually like <laughs> stuff from what Jesus said and what Paul said and stuff yeah, like that, which yeah. is interesting. I don't know if Paul was around then or not. I don't know what year this takes place, but I don't, I'm pretty sure he would have been dead. Well, that's the thing. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Hold on. I don't, I don't know, know when the first one takes place, if it's like AD 0 yeah, or anything like that. Yeah, I don't either. Huh. But if, it seems like it would be like AD 25 and then AD I 55 mean, might work, but maybe not. Paul would have been the first guy to bring Christianity to Rome, right? Well, that's the thing, yeah. So, 
Who knows? Although maybe not, because he wrote Romans before he went there. Man, anyway, doesn't this matter. timeline doesn't doesn't it, have to make yeah, sense. Yeah, no. <laughs> Hold on, we haven't even gotten to the weird part. <laughs> so anyway, Maximus has convinced them that they need to fight the Romans instead of turn the other cheek and just get slaughtered. Sure. So <laughs> we're gonna do like a revisionist history on like the one group of Christians that everyone in the world can agree is was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, rel- yeah, right. So they do it. They have this big battle. Mm-hmm. Lucius dies. Mm-hmm. And his son is, like, really sad that he, like, betrayed his belief system, sort of, to fight these Romans at the end. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, what do we do next? And then Maximus is like, we continue to fight. And then it gets crazy. Wow. So that was was the third act, essentially, was that whole thing. Uh Uh-huh. The, you know, the whole big battle Mm -hmm. and the lead up to it, which is, like, the gladiator stuff. Yep. And then we flash forward in time. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that, and they kind of hint at this throughout the movie a little bit, because Mordecai, the ghost guy, comes back into the real world, oh, yeah. but only Maximus can see him. Classic because, ghost move. Right. Because he's a ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mordecai's a ghost. He can only interact with the world through being a ghost. Yep. And uh, Maximus has been cursed by the other gods. Yep. By the Roman gods in their final act of desperation before they disappear, you know, because no one believes in them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> to live for eternity. Oh. So he essentially becomes this like one like cane wandering forever type thing. Yeah. Where Oh man, so stupid. So how far does this go forward? Okay, so does first, we go to our time. Okay, so first <laughs> we we see him in the Crusades. Okay. So he's like in the Crusades. He's like apparently has joined England. Yeah. And see he went this is tiresome already. <laughs> he went to one side of the Roman Instead of the other side, yeah, yeah. Instead yeah. of being, instead of like going to Turkey, he went with like West Rome. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, the Holy so, Roman Empire. Yeah, exactly. So he does that. Then we jump forward again, and it's like World War One. <laughs> then we jump forward again, and it's Vietnam. <laughs> the Vietnam War. Ah, uh, yes. The next, the th- those three major wars throughout history. And then we jump forward <laughs> one more time, and he is in a bathroom. You're like, what? And he's wearing like a suit. Yep. And he basically walks into a Doctor Strangelove type war room, mm-hmm. and it's clearly American. He's American now. I <laughs> yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Where were we?" Like, and that's the end of the movie. Hmm. And he's become like just this war guy now. Yeah, he just like war never changes, I guess. Yeah. And it's because he's always in it. <laughs> yeah. So, huh? You had me at Maximus wandering through the afterlife. Yeah. And angering the gods until he can get back home. Yeah. And you lost me at Maximus convinces Christians to stop following the teachings of Jesus and then has to live forever and influences the course of war and history. And then goes on to be Forrest Gump, but just the war parts <laughs> over it, and over again. <laughs> it goes on goes on to be immortal Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Man, that's very stupid. Right? Way to end a movie. Isn't that insane? I You had me like... All the parts earlier when you're talking about like the weird imagery and like all the stuff with the gods and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this could be really cool. There's this Probably, one scene. I could see why it wouldn't get made. Yeah. It might be too weird to exist. Oh, for sure. Or at least too weird to be worthy of being a sequel to a huge hit. I think most of it's really smart too. Yeah. Like there's this one scene where Lucius is talking to the emperor mm-hmm. and getting permission to do stuff. And the emperor's talking about how everyone's not interested in his stuff anymore and he's yeah. he's in during the scene he's feeding this extremely sick monkey 
Mm, he's like dipping bread in milk and like feeding the monkey yeah like he cares and it's such a cool scene of this emperor clearly cares more about entertainment than he does about the running of his own city yeah or country yeah which is a cool thing and then at the end lucius is like uh, i think your monkey's dead Mm -hmm. and how how much of it focuses on the old gods and stuff and them dying and people not being interested in that that's just basically the first third of the of the script yeah that is set up that seems cool it's so cool the whole idea that and that's why all these people are stuck on the shores of purgatory basically yeah is because the gods have kind of let things lapse oh yeah because there's this new movement and and apparently this new god is very powerful and so it's very like it actually reminds me a lot of american gods the book by neil gaiman if you've ever read that i haven't there are these all these different gods like odin and all the egyptian ones and whoever else that live in the new world that live in like america Mm -hmm. because people from the old world brought them over and then there was a new incarnation of them living in america interesting but they're losing their power because no one believes in them anymore Mm -hmm. and now these new gods that are like sex and the media and money and whatever are taking over and Hmm. the incarnations of them are very powerful so it's like the old versus the new in that same way it's a cool premise i can see this gladiator 2 having a lot of cool stuff to put in there about just like societal decay yeah, or almost in like a Lord of the Rings kind of way. Yes, like how in Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of these old. It's clearly like this dying yeah. civilization kind of thing. And what do you do with that? Well, the problem is that it's a genre film. Yeah, and but not in the way that Gladiator One is a genre film. Yeah, That's Gladiator a, yeah. is historical. Yeah, and Gladiator Two would essentially be sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, like fantasy basically. And I think that's definitely one thing to think about when you. And obviously, it's not hard to wonder why this movie didn't get made. True. But even to think of why it didn't get made, to remember how big of a hit Gladiator was. Oh, it was huge. I mean, it won the Oscar. Yeah. That's a big deal. So and it made a ton of money. To make a bunch of money and win Best Picture, that's pretty tough to top. And also, pretty broad appeal. Yeah, versus this, which is, who's it for? Not yeah, sure. But not sure. It went for it. And I love that Nick Cave wrote the script this way. Yeah. Other than that ending, which I think is so stupid. That's the kind of weird stuff that you can kind of only get if you have one person writing the script who yeah. has something that they want to go for. Well, and apparently he showed it to Russell Crowe, and Russell Crowe was just like, I don't like it, mate. Like, <laughs> I don't think Russell Crowe is a terribly sophisticated guy. No, I don't think so. <laughs> he has a band called 30 Odd Foot of Grunts. I think that's as far <laughs> as his imagination yeah. goes. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not sure how you would even change that to make the... I feel like... I like the idea that he's immortal if he's going back to Earth. Yeah. But I don't like the idea that he... It kind of gets messy with the whole convincing Christians to fight subplot. Yeah. I think really it should be... And a lot of it is the only reason he's doing that is because his son is one of them. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea that he wants to protect his son. I feel like that it would, yeah. pulls him into this larger battle. Yeah. But also... He needs to fight, and that's why we liked Gladiator in the first place. Is that he's a good fighter. Mm-hmm. So you got to find yeah, some way. To, that's so true. Kind of sets him up for an impossible yeah. solution. So there's yeah. really no way to win that one if you're going with a religion that first and foremost should be about pacifism. Yeah. Especially because in the movie, they literally they do the turn the other cheek thing, and literally yeah. his son gets slapped, and then he turns the other cheek, and it slap him again, and they keep doing it until he's like. What mm-hmm. you gonna turn now? Yeah, and then Maximus comes and breaks the guy's nose. Yeah, I feel like maybe it would have been more fitting with the themes if it would have ended up that Russell Crowe was on the other side of it. 
Oh, like that he, he was to... trying to crush the Christian group. I mean, that but, would obviously be a huge rewrite, but I don't think that fits with the theme of the first gladiator of now he's oppressed and he needs to fight against the authority, essentially. Yeah, but I mean, it would fit in the sense that, like, at the end, he clearly is seen to have either failed or done, like, some awful sin, which is why he would get cursed for eternity. Well, he was cursed for eternity because he went for the thing he wanted, which was his son oh, back. Yeah. And so, and the gods were mad that he didn't kill that other god. Yeah. So it's it's tricky because, like, it does give him agency in a cool way. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm going to defeat death kind of in this yeah. weird way. But it also, the ending just makes it not worth it, sort of. He needs some <laughs> he needs some more fitting punishment than to have to wander the earth forever. Yeah. Because that leads to, or even if they didn't make him a general, you know what I mean? If he just didn't have to lead wars anymore. Yeah, if he looked like he was having a worse time about it. <laughs> yeah, like you could show him a thousand years later and it's what, like 1500 AD mm-hmm. or something like that. I mean, this. Yeah. Took, I mean, they would be a thousand AD. Yeah. But, you know, you could show many, many, many years later and sh- just show that he is trying to live his life. Yeah. Or something. Just not war. Just or, like adding him to war means like, oh, this, this is one good job, that thing that he's yeah. good at, which is fighting. Like, yeah. Maybe he doesn't want that anymore. Maybe he finally realizes that that's not worth it. Or at least give him, within the other parts of the movie, give him a reason to want to get out of wars in general. Yeah. So it actually looks like a punishment that he's going to all these wars. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's insane. So long story short, I want that movie to get made... One to one, just so I can, be, <laughs> just so I can see it. That's kind of the other problem is that I don't think most people go into a movie solely because they think that it'll be something that they've never seen before, or even anything like something that's that they've seen before. That's true. And we're I both, want that. we're both into that. Yeah, I love that. I don't think that's a good way to make money. Oh, probably. of course not. <laughs> so, of course not. Which is a bummer. Also, I will say that script probably got no rewrites. Yeah, right? it's true. I no. mean, he did the one thing and then showed it to Russell Crowe, and then he wasn't going to do it, so that was kind of a dead end. When you read the script, there are literally blanks for like last names and stuff of yeah. characters, because so, he just didn't get to that. Yeah, so I'm sure he'd probably tighten it up. But I like that it exists. I, I need to find more scripts like that, Yeah, of like first drafts of stuff. Even I think if the undone. end of that would have been him just like being cursed to walk the earth, yeah. and then they just don't show it. Yes. That would have been a better. I want that. That would have been better. I guess the other Boy. stuff is just to show he's immortal, but whatever. I guess. I don't know. And just to see if they want... Maybe he thought that the fil- the producers would love it. I do like that it closed it off for no more sequels. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is true. That is like, a hard ending. Yeah. Or, alternately, <laughs> if somebody makes a movie about Russell Crowe as a general, you can say, oh, look, the sequel. Oh, that's and true. And he doesn't even have to touch it. He doesn't have to go by Maximus anymore. It just has to be <laughs> Russell Crowe. I mean, Cinderella Man could be... Yeah! He's a fighter. Except he can't be. He can't have any sort of weakness. That's the thing. He's immortal, so he can oh, never yeah. die. How about uh, the Robin Hood one? Yeah, that could be him. Robin Hood could be... He's going by Robin Hood Maximus. now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, he's not going to go in England by Maximus. Though. And then that other Ridley Scott movie where he's like growing wine in Italy... A serious year, something like that, or a, a good year. That's what it is. Oh, I don't even Came out in like 2006. I didn't see it either, but I like to think that's Russell also him. Russell Crowe's in it, so counted. That's Maximus. Yeah, they're all Maximus now. Anything that's Russell Crowe where he doesn't die. The good guys. 
Yeah, that's that's <laughs> Russell Crowe too. I mean, that's Maximus. That's Maximus. <laughs> that's Maximus. All this is canon. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, it happened. Russell Crowe is immortal. <laughs> he just looks like he's getting older. Yeah. Well, you know, he's got a. He's doing a bit. L.A. Confidential. Yeah. Also, him. <laughs> just he gay. really went through a detective phase. Yeah, for he, like forty years. <laughs> I, I suppose probably held, he didn't have to like do as much of a costume. Yeah, I think he got a little lazy. Probably. So just wear a suit. Yeah. 